This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It is CHGO Bears After Dark, and I am your host, Greg Braggs Jr. As always, some kind of technical difficulty as I start this show with my volume on my phone. This CHGO Bears After Dark is presented by DraftKings. Make sure you're hitting up DraftKings to put down all your bets, including the over on the Chicago Bears wins this season. Joining me tonight is my guy. We all know him on Twitter as Reed Jack, but this is Jack Silverstein, uh, the superstar Bears historian that I've always grown an affinity for because he really understands the details of Chicago sports history and specifically the Chicago Bears. So we're taking a little break from training camp talk here. It's been a whirlwind here the last week talking Bears training camp in its current state, but with the Hall of Fame game, tomorrow night uh i wanted to bring on jack so i could cry about the fact that devin hester hasn't been inducted into the hall of fame and we have a few other players that we may be able to get into that might also deserve a nod here down the way so how are we doing tonight jack uh, appreciate you coming on on short notice doing doing well buddy let's do it yes sir so yeah let's get right into it uh devin hester two years in a row snubbed for the hall of fame wasn't a first ballot hall of famer i think if you asked any player in this league they'd have him in the hall of fame and to me that's all the litmus tests you need can you explain this process because i know you feel very strongly he will get in eventually which makes me feel better but at the same time i'm, I'm kind of offended that he's not already in sure so in uh 2021 uh, which was for the class of 2022. This this group that we're talking about now is going to be the class of 2024. So two years ago, when Devin Hester came on the ballot, when he became eligible, he joined Jan Stenerud, the great kicker for Kansas City, as the only first ballot semifinalist from special teams. Right. Jan Stenerud was a first ballot Hall of Famer. Devin Hester is the only pure returner. So remove Deion Sanders, remove... Uh, Rod Woodson, etc. He's the only pure returner to reach this stage in the Pro Football Hall of Fame process at any point. The semifinals uh, portion of the process began in 2004. He's the only special teamer to get this far. So while I agree with you, I would have loved to have seen him as a first ballot guy, the impact, the numbers, um, everything. And we, we all know his case. Uh, the flip side of that is that he actually got farther and has gotten farther than any returner, any special teamer. Um, we just had Steve Tasker in his right. final year of eligibility, and the voters chose Devin Hester over Steve Tasker. So they clearly like Devin Hester. Um, in that time frame since 2004 when the semifinals became a round, so you've got this huge list. You might see an announcement. And they'll say 119 players 
our nominees for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. 140 players, 106 players, whatever it is, always over 100. And that list then gets chopped down to 25. That's the semifinals. That's what started in 2004. And then that list gets chopped down to 15. And then from that list is your class of five. It technically doesn't have to be fives, but I'd have to check it again. They have a run of now over a decade of always electing five. So you're going to get five people in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And since that semifinalist process began, first ballot finalists have gotten into the Hall of Fame within six years, every one of them, unless they're on the ballot right now. And that's why I've written, uh, that's why I wrote on Windy City Gridiron um, that Devin Hester is a lock for the Pro Football Hall of Fame by 2027. And I wrote that to give people an understanding of the process and give them an understanding that, yes, technically, you're not in until you're in. And there are people who we've seen who have had these super long waits. But those super long waits, the ones who make it to the senior pool, in other words, the ones who aren't elected in that 20 years of eligibility, those are guys who get onto the semis or into the finals much later in their eligibility, year 10, year 12, year 15. You got 20 years. Devin Hester, first ballot finalist, means he is going in by 2027. And so I was calm in year one, and I was calm in year two. I'm now at the point where, okay, it's time. Unless the voters are going to change one of their habits that I don't like, and they're going to start exploring the back end of the ballot, meaning the guys who are now running out of time, unless they're going to do that and use these, the modern era pool to really start looking at these guys who are in danger of slipping into the senior pool, and this is going to come back around to Steve McMichael. Unless they're going to do that and they're going to start looking at, say, Leslie O'Neill, who's in his final year of eligibility. I'm a big Moose Johnston fan, fullback, final year of eligibility. I know guys, shout out to my guy Jeff, Tim McDonald, safety, 49ers and the Cardinals, final year of eligibility. Coming up after that, we've got Ben Coates, who I thought, along with Keith Jackson, was those two guys were right after Shannon Sharp for defining the tight end position. Guys who define their position. Ben Coates has never been a semifinalist. Neil Smith has never been a semifinalist. Then the year after that gets real interesting. Randall Cunningham, Steve Wisniewski. And you got Eric Allen, who's been a semifinalist a few times, Ricky Waters. One of my favorite players, Carnell Lake. Coming after that, you're going to have Richmond Webb, who was second team in the 1990s for tackles, has never been a semifinalist. So unless voters are going to start looking at the back end of eligibility and looking at guys years 16 through 20, not as a fluke, but as a matter of, you know, proactive policy. I don't want to say policy because they have actual policies, but proactive traits and habits and starting to explore that. Unless they're doing that, it's time for Devin. Right. Now, I don't think he's getting in this year, but unless they're doing that, it, it's time for death. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, the symmetry of it being 2023 and not putting in number 23, I just thought it was a shame and a missed opportunity there. But I understand there's a process to it, and I can be patient as long as it gets in. I know Devin has really taken it personally here these last couple of years, and I know it has really hurt him from what I've heard in the background. Now, you know, you're not only such a great historian, but you understand the stats that back this up. I mean, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but you've helped make the case for former Chicago Bears to be in the Hall of Fame, correct? I've done some. I've done research that has has um, given people more ammo, and um, you know, Dan Pompey certainly doesn't need my help, but he's got it if he if if he needs it, and um, I'm here to get him uh, any piece of information, any stat, anything he he needs in that room. But yeah. you know, he, don't be bashful when it comes to it. We need your help when it comes to <laughs> making sure some of these historical stats and memories stay with us and, and uh, you know chicago sports fans i think take a lot of pride in that and if the so bears ever oh, put a museum in arlington heights i want you to run this museum because i don't think there's anybody better that tells the story of chicago sports history and the chicago bears than you do jack and i'm not blowing smoke on that i truly mean it um, i appreciate that so let me give is- bears fans a little bit of a look at what how this ballot could break okay um because I think it's uh, I think it's important again to have this understanding. The the one thing that bothered me about the the vote last year was that Devin actually dropped. He dropped behind Jared Allen, uh, Matt Nagy or whomever says. Yeah, Matt's in the chat. Yeah, no doubt. Says there's, a punter in the Hall of, there's a punter in the Hall of Fame, and Devin Hester is not. Yes, that is true. And Ray Guy, who everyone. Um, I shouldn't say everyone, but Ray Guy, who is roundly respected as, if not the greatest punter of all time, I think the lowest I've seen anyone say is second or third. He had to wait all the way into the senior into the senior pool. Chris Cluey had to get what fined, suspended for putting that on his uh, on his jersey. I think he put like a patch, like a makeshift patch, on his jersey. Vote Guy, vote Ray Guy. So yeah, it took Ray Guy a long time, and he is roundly respected as. Um, as the greatest punter ever, or maybe second, third. So here's what's going on with Devin Hester. The first year that he was eligible, he wasn't just a finalist. He was in the next five. So you got 15 finalists, you divide them into three groups. You got five people at the top. Those are the guys who are gonna get elected. Hypothetically, one could get voted down, but it hasn't happened in over a decade. So you got five people at the top of the 15. Then you've got five people in the middle of the 15 and five people at the end of the 15. Devin Hester, in his first year of eligibility, was in that 6 through 10 slot. And last year, Jared Allen jumped him. Now, to me, Jared Allen was a phenomenal player. Belongs in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But he's someone who I always thought of more as a collection of numbers. I don't think he passes the grandchild test. You're not going to be telling your grandchildren about Jared Allen, unless you were a Minnesota fan or a KC fan. But there are certain players who everyone's going to tell their grandkids about. Walter, Jerry Rice, Lawrence Taylor, Red Grange, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Joe Montana, Johnny Hugh. Um, Guys that changed the game. And Devin Hester not only changed individual games, he was one of the rare uh, returners who you had to actually game plan for. Think about game planning for a returner in the Super Bowl. So you're game planning for him in games. He also changed rules. So he changed the game. He changed games. And last year, he fell into that 11 through 15, which bugged me. I feel like he needs to be up ahead of Jared Allen. I guess you could say he jumped Jared Allen because Jared Allen was eligible first. But here's what you're looking at. You've got three wide receivers in uh, Andre Johnson, Torrey Holt, and Reggie Wayne who were in that six through 10 last year. Jared Allen, 
And then the, the, the fifth guy was Albert Lewis. Albert Lewis has come on strong among voters. He is now one of the finalists for the senior pool. And this is where this connection between groups is important. Albert Lewis last year was in his 20th year of eligibility, his final year. And I wrote an article that was published on the uh, pro football historian John Turney's website. John Turney is now part of Talk of Fame with Clark Judge, who's a Hall of Fame voter. If you're not familiar with John Turney's name, he was one half of the duo that did all of the research that got SAC data extended back to 1960 instead of 1982. So I published this piece on his site. It was an open letter to voters saying, start with Albert Lewis and build from there. If you think Albert Lewis belongs in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, start with him and then build. Because what's going to happen if you don't, and this is what happened, is that now Albert Lewis, he missed it in his final year of modern eligibility, and now he's in his first year of senior eligibility, and the voters, the, the senior pool voters, it's only 12 of the 50, they have put him in as a finalist, which means that he could potentially you don't like to pit people against each other, but this is just the reality. Albert Lewis could potentially bump Steve McMichael out of the Pro Football Hall of Fame this year. Sterling Sharp should have been in a long time ago, but they screwed up and they never advanced him. He had that one fluky neck injury. The only games of Sterling Sharp's career that he missed were the 1994 playoffs. Sterling Sharp has momentum. He could be a reason now that Steve McMichael missed. It's Randy Gratishar who looks like he's going in this year after a long time, the great Broncos middle linebacker, who was the defensive player of the year in 1978, when the, the reporting of the day would say there were two great middle linebackers. One was Jack Lambert, who was a first ballot guy. One was Randy Gratishar, who's still waiting. Randy Gratishar getting in would be one slot away from Steve McMichael. Now, I, again, you don't want to pit guys against each other because right. these are all legends. They've all played these wonderful careers. But that is where there's that connection between the two, is that you've got guys who should have been voted in earlier, and they get moved to the senior pool, and now you're looking at the possibility of more. It's not just Steve McMichael, I know, because we're Bears fans and, and because he has ALS, but um, I, I believe it's, uh, I think there were 10 um, seniors who got elected posthumously in the last like 10 years or in the last 20 years, something like that. Um, it, it happens a lot. It happens more, more than it should. So I do want to see, though, Devin Hester this year. You've got Jared Allen. You've got those three wide receivers. And then you don't have to worry about Albert Lewis because he's now in, in the senior pool. Uh, you've got Patrick Willis, who's been a finalist for a while. Willie Anderson. i got some thoughts on, on his case. But he's been now a finalist. Um, and uh, Dwight Freeney. But Devin Hester, when you think about – impact on individual games when you think about impact on the game itself rule changes personnel changes the way that gms were now looking for the next devin hester in the draft the way that um they changed you know they changed rules kickoff rules around him and again game planning for him in the super bowl i can't right. stress that enough i'll tell you another another good thing on uh, on devin's case you know a, a pro football hall of fame resume should be multifaceted but one thing that jumps out to voters it's something that voters talked about last year is that one big number ronde barber 14 to 14 non-offensive touchdowns 12 of them 
on uh, on defense. It's a big fat number. Albert Lewis, I think it's eleven uh, or twelve blocked kicks, eleven on punts and one field goal. You look for that big old number. Frank Gore's got a big old number that's going to get him in camp. And sometimes it's uh, greater than the sum of his, his career, and, and sometimes it's not. But Devin Hester, 20 non-offensive touchdowns, most of them returns, 14 return put, uh, punt return touchdowns, most of all time, five kick return touchdowns in the top 10. And you know, you're going to hear a lot of talk about Cordell Patterson. And, and Cordell Patterson was one of my favorite Bears, and obviously we didn't even get to watch him that long. We love Cordell Patterson. Does Cordell Patterson – uh, does what Cordero Patterson is doing hurt Devin? I think it might. No, it does not for a couple reasons. Number one, and what I was about to say, is that Cordero Patterson is probably the greatest kick returner of all time. Obviously, he's got the most touchdowns. He's got one of the highest averages. And you could say it's Gal Sayers. Um, you could say it's Patterson. But Cordero Patterson has one career punt return. Not one career punt return touchdown, one career one return. return and kick and punt returns are separate skills and rare is the person who can do both right mel, mel gray could do both rick upchurch could do both uh dante hall could do both devin hester was an all pro in both you know joe klecko the, the 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 defensive lineman for the jets just got in uh and he'll be inducted um this what this weekend and um, one of the things that they point out is that he was an all-pro in uh, three, they, they call it three positions. They say defensive tackle, nose tackle, meaning one four three, one three four, and defensive end. And that's great, but it's not like that different. It's not like he was all-pro at safety and linebacker. Well, Devin Hester was all-decade at two positions punt returner and, and kick returner in and two it, separate decades and it, exactly the two decades that's i mean i because I, I was going to ask you what the most obscure stack is you're just such a statistician not just a historian of devin hester's that you have but that's probably it right that he's all decade in two decades that that is a that is a great one and the fact that you can find him on um on the single season leaderboards for kick and punt in touchdowns in both in yards in both in return average in both he's someone who's just any way you slice the return stats devin hester's toward the you know i, I was joke and you probably said this too you know you all say michael's on every list anytime you see a list pop up of something that someone has done mj's on the list right. devin is on every return every, list. yep he, he, he led the NFL in kick return yards, kick return average, kick return touchdown, punt return yards, punt return average, punt return touchdown. Period. I mean, period. So when you look at Patterson, with all due respect, he's a kick returner. Right. Devin is a returner. And, yep. it, and, and, it's, and it's not like, you know, Desmond Howard has arguably the most famous kick return in NFL history. You could say it's Devin. You could say it's. Uh, you could say it's definitely Devin Howard. It, it, interesting. Interestingly enough, you know, is the only kicker to give up two kick return touchdowns in Super Bowl history. Adam Vinatieri. He gave up Desmond Howard's and he gave up Devin Hester's. That kick return touchdown was the only kick return touchdown for Desmond Howard's in his NFL career. Wow. 
I mean, and that's the thing because a lot of times kick return and punt return, it's like a flash in the pan moment. And Devin Hester, it was very Michael Jordan-esque in the way that everyone in the building knew he was about to do it, and he did it anyway. And he did it anyway. One one thing that I like to say, what you, what you just said about, about how long he did it and how guys are flash in the pan because it's really hard to return kicks that well. Devin Hester has three Dante Halls. Dante Hall should get some Hall of Fame buzz for what he did. Some conversation. And Dante Hall has gone on the record and said that Devin Hester is the greatest returner of all time. Take a look at Devin Hester's stats. Take a look at Dante Hall's stats. Dante Hall's stats are basically confined in two years in terms of his return stats, his 12 return touchdowns combined in two years. And Devin Hester has basically three Dante Halls. He has 06-07. He has 10-11. And he has 13, 14, 14 when he, when he was in Atlanta. One of my favorite Devin Hester stats is that he set his playoff record in his final game of his career with Seattle. People forget he played with Seattle and he signed on just before the playoffs. And Devin Hester almost scored twice in that playoff game. I mean, he literally did it from his first game as a pro, punt return touchdown against Green Bay, his last game as a pro, monster yardage against uh, against Atlanta in the 2016 playoffs. So it, I, I think it needs to happen this year. There aren't five guys. There are not five guys who are going to be on the ballot this year who had a greater impact and a greater performance and greater memory burn. Any way that you say someone's a Hall of Famer, the guys who are coming on who are, who are going to be in the mix for first ballot, Julius Peppers and Antonio Gates. Love, you know, respect Gates. Obviously love Peppers. Peppers, yes. For me, Gates is kind of like Jared Allen in the sense that, like, yeah, absolutely he's a Hall of Famer, but he's kind of like just a big number. And Devin Hester is a big number plus the impact on the game, the impact on individual games, generational generational performance. Uh, and I always say, as I always say, They've been returning kicks longer than they've been throwing passes. And Devin Hester is the greatest ever at returning kicks. That's a good way of putting it. Um, and and Sunday Night Football put out this uh, little bracket, playoff bracket of best non-QBs of the 21st century. And these are some of the names on this list. Patrick Willis, Larry Fitzgerald, Richard Sermon, Aaron Donald, Derek Brooks, Julio Jones, Luke Keekley, Cameron Jordan, Brian Dawkins, Zach Martin, Michael Strahan, Adrian Peterson, Devin Hester, Charles Woodson, Calvin Johnson. He is put in a category with some of the all-time great players. It's it's no question, and, and I do think that he'll eventually get in, and I'm glad you think that it's a lock at least by 2027. 20, uh, let's hope that happens. And I think the longer this drags out, the more the players that played against him will start to rise up in his defense for this because I think everyone understands what Devin Hester means to the history of the National Football League and the Chicago Bears. And I know you had to be quick here, Jack, but there was a couple of players I wanted to run through, specifically Steve Mongo McMichael. You mentioned, you know, he's battling ALS. He's a semifinalist. They're trying to, you know, get closer to putting him in. Is there any chance that he can get put in you know, where, you know, he, you know, they can still let him know, you know, Ron Sano got put in after he passed away. And I always thought there's some, you know, tragedy to that. Like, if you're going to put him in, like put him in while he's still around. And I understand there's a process to these things, but like once he's already gone to put him in at like, okay, fine. 
but it just seems almost like a slap in the face in a lot of ways. Yeah, there is a chance, and I won't I won't say it's certainly not a lock, but it's certainly a much bigger chance than it was last year. And there is a real chance that chance that Steve McMichael could be elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And the thing that happens with the senior committee is momentum. Because not everyone who gets up in the senior committee is going to make the Pro Football Hall of Fame. There is a huge backlog, and it grows by the year. Like I said, Albert Lewis now is someone who they have to contend with. Last year, Steve McMichael was not on the first list. The list of, it's about 25, it gets, it's higher than that because of ties. This year, that number is 31. He was on that list. The fact that he got into this next list, the, the, the final 12, is enormous. And there are a few things that that means. And one of them is that Dan Pompey now gets to present him and talk about him uh, to the other 11 senior voters. And that is huge, because up until this point in the process, the voters don't meet. Now, they, they I'm sure that they have their conversations, um, side conversations, tweets, or texts, or phone calls, or whatever, but they don't meet in a formal way until this final 12. So on August 22nd, the 12 members of the senior pool, who, uh, of the senior, the, the 12 senior, vote, senior voters are going to meet uh, over Zoom, and or whatever they use, not in person, but they're gonna meet, and they are going to talk about this uh, list of 12 players. And here's sort of how it's gonna go. Randy Gratishar is probably getting in. He's had this super long wait, and he was very close last year. Uh, he was very close three years ago. He, by all accounts, was one of the you know great linebackers of his day. He got kind of hosed on the way that all pro and all decade work with fewer inside linebackers. So it's something where it's like, oh yeah, he could have been all decade, but he wasn't. Um, Randy Gratishar is probably getting in. And after that, it's all about length. So there's a term, the super senior, and people define it differently. Some people say it's before 1960, some people say it's before 1950, but there's a push to get super seniors into the hall. There's one guy, Al Wistert, who was a two-time champion with the Eagles in the 1950s. He's got a little bit of build behind him, um, but he's the only other lineman other than Steve McMichael, and he's a and he's really a pre-modern lineman, and he played right in the overlap. 1950 is the year that they made the free substitution rule, which is what created that offense and defense. It's the, right. the, the reason why Sid Luckman was also a defensive back. Um, so he, he played right in there, but he's still sort of pre-modern in the sense that you don't really compare him one-to-one -one against McMichael the way that you would Jim Marshall of the Vikings, who made the semifinal round and then didn't make this next round. So there's nobody else from Steve McMichael's position lined up against him. There's no other bear lined up against him. So he's kind of free in that sense. He has that huge number, that those 95 sacks. When he retired, he was first all-time among defensive tackles with 95 sacks. And uh, now he's eighth, and part of that is because of that sack expansion. You got um, you know, guys before him, Alan Page and Bob Lilly, and now we know how many sacks they have. But still, he's eighth. You know, I mean, that's... It's still a big, fat number. You also have two guys who went in recently who, um, I don't want to, who I'll just say Steve McMichael matches up well. If you look at them on paper, and that's Bryant Young and Joe Klecko. 
Stephen Michael has the one ring that Bryant Young has. He's got mostly, you know, the same level of all pros. Um, uh, Bryant Young finished fourth in Defensive Player of the Year voting one time. Stephen Michael never did that, but Stephen Michael's 1988 season was better than Bryant Young's season where he finished fourth. So there, there are things like that where you can look at these two recent defensive tackles who got in, Young and Klecko, and you can say, all right, well, is it numbers? Because McMichael has the numbers. Is it rings? Because McMichael has that. You know, here's another good piece for him. There were people who said, why should four bear defenders from the 80s all be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Singletary, Dent, Hampton, why should four? Well, guess who has four Pro Football Hall of Famers now off their defense? The 2002 Buccaneers, and they, with all due respect, won one of the most side-eyed Super Bowls I've yep. ever seen. Where they got the they they they've got the head coach of their opponent. They've got their opponent changing the game plan, running up to the Super Bowl. They have their center Barrett Robbins uh, on Oakland, who went through that you know that terrible uh, that terrible bit for him, but it changed their whole offense, it changed their signals. And, you know, all respect to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but that was a Super Bowl where you watched it and you were like, I don't know, there's some things right. not quite on the level here. And you got four guys in the Pro Football Hall of Fame off that defense. Now, Derek Brooks is going to make it even without a ring. Warren Sapp is going to make it even without a ring. But John Lynch and Rondé Barber, are they both going to make it without a ring? And you could say that none of those guys I just listed were the best you know, of those of those two, they weren't even the, the third and fourth best guys on that defense. Simeon Rice was the third best guy on that defense. And he was the he was my choice for Super Bowl MVP at that time. So now you've got Rondé Barber and John Lynch. And I, I don't say that to besmirch them. I just say that you can throw that four defender argument straight out the window. So there, you can't make that case anymore. You can't say, oh, why should the Bears defense have another you know another guy and with the bears defense you know they talk about the 85 bears as being an underachieving team the uh, the 80s bears were underachievers but the 80s bears defense was not they were racking up number one rankings and you want to look at steve mcmichael's case and i wrote the case on windy city gridiron you should go check it out um but if you want to check out his case look at things like 1988 Bears had the number one defense. Wilbur Marshall's in Washington. Richard Dent gets injured in the middle of the season. Steve McMichael should have been an all-pro. He wasn't. You look at 1991. We were still up there, top 10. You look at 1993. 1993, Steve McMichael's final year with the Bears. No Mike Singletary, retired. No Dan Hampton, retired. No Wilbur Marshall. He's in Washington. And we were the number three defense in the NFL that year. Wow. And Steve McMichael was one of the best players on that defense, one of the biggest players, one of the best leaders. And this is the money shot. Here it goes. For 11 years, 1983 to 1993, Steve McMichael only made four AP All-Pro teams, twice in first team, twice on second team. But he outsacked the defensive tackles on the AP All-Pro team over that time. He averaged more sacks per season than the guys who were beating him out. Now, I know some of those guys are nose tackles, so they're going to be a little bit lower on sacks. But some of those, some of those guys are, are, are sack artists who are going to be a little bit higher. So Steve McMichael, he's out-sacking the AP at his own position. Dominant. And when you mentioned Warren Sapp earlier, 
Warren Sack, most career sacks by a defensive tackle since 1982. Warren Sapp with 89. Steve Mongo McMichael with 95. The most yep. uh, by a D tackle since 1982. John Randall with 107.5. Aaron Donald with 100. Obviously, uh, Hall of Famers around him, and he should be included. And when you talk about Chicago Bears history, the most sacks in Chicago Bears history of any position, Richard Dent with 124 and a half, and Dan Hampton with 57, both in the Hall of Fame. Steve Mongo McMichael, 92 and a half, not in the Hall of Fame. So when you talk about the monsters of the midway, he was at the middle of it, and I think you put it in perfect terms there. A uh, little – a uh, little fire round here, whatever you want to call it, just to, so we can cut you loose and let's so, get back to anyways, it. Anyways, 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 I'll just say, I'll be able to get my absolute gas in the hall. If he's going to get in, it really has to happen this year because of what you said, uh, because of the ALS. He's certainly not the only senior candidate who has, who has health issues, but he has, everybody's on the clock, but he is really on the clock. So what I would say to Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, voters to the senior committee. I know Dan Pompey is going to make this point, but I hope that um, uh, I hope that if this reaches anybody, and we know how the internet works, man, you never know. Uh, if this reaches them, I would just say the same thing I said last year with Albert Lewis. Start with Albert Lewis and build from there. This year, I say on the senior pool, start with you got Randy Gratishar. Fine, that's one. You got two slots left. Start with Steve McMichael. If he's a Hall of Famer, go with him. Gratishar, McMichael, you got a third slot. I would go with Sterling Sharp. If you really want to get a super senior, fine. Al Wister and Sharp waits another year, which I don't love. But, like, if you're going to do it that way, then then that's fine. And if you're not and you're going to put him in a, in a year or two years, you know, there should be some accounting for health. And I know that in the past there hasn't been, but it doesn't mean that doesn't have, doesn't have to change. So I would say start with Steve McMichael. Decide on his merits think he's a hall of famer which obviously he wouldn't have gotten to this level remember these voters haven't met yet but wouldn't he wouldn't have gotten to this level if they didn't already think that he was worthy start with steve mcmichael and gratishar build from there yeah from a humanity standpoint it's the right thing to do but from an yep. achievement standpoint he's deserved it period uh chubbs with the two dollar super chat jay hilgenberg every year he deserves it your thoughts yeah, Hilgenberg definitely, and Wilbur Marshall as well. Um, Hilgenberg, I don't know what has taken so long. I mean, all those consecutive Pro Bowls, and we know that the Bears offense of the 80s uh, could be one-dimensional, and that was Walter, and obviously Walter on his own is multi-dimensional. But in terms of like what the Bears offense was doing, it could be one-dimensional. We had a lot of turnover, obviously, at quarterback. So where did we have consistency? We had it with Walter. We had it with the offensive line. I think Jay Hilgerberg absolutely should have been in there. The other guy is Wilbur Marshall, who was one of the best players on the 85 Bears D. He was arguably the best player on Washington's defense in 1991. And he's running into a little bit of a problem, which is that with the senior committee, um, they they really seem to be leaning toward guys who have played with one team because that's where the fan base is going to rally. So if you want to see Hilgenberg, rally for him. And if you want to see Wilbur Marshall, then a combination of Bears fans and Washington fans are going to have to get it together and really start pushing for him. Yep, Chubbs, another $2 super chat. Jay Hilgenberg, all-decade, four-time All-Pro, seven-time Pro. So Exactly, and those seven Pro Bowls, I believe, were consecutive. So you really start to feel like – you're you're going year in year out of saying this guy is one of the very best at his position. Absolutely. Yep. Um, uh, quickly, like I said, a little yep. lightning round. If you had to pick two between the two, Peanut Tillman or Lance Briggs, 
and you could only pick one to put in the hall. Who are you putting in? Lance. Wow, not Peanut Tillman because I'm, I'm putting Peanut in. I love. I, I obviously everybody knows I love Peanut. Charles knows that. Charles knows how much I like him and respect him, and we've talked. Um, I would need to be. I would really need to be uh, to to get the case against Lance because for a very long time now we all know Charles got jobbed out of a lot of Pro Bowls that he should have had because people did not understand what they were seeing. We understood what we were seeing, but a lot of people I don't think did. Um, Charles changed the game of football unequivocally. Uh, Lance Briggs for a very long time was considered, you know, the very among the very best. I mean, I think he was 85% of Derek Brooks, and I think that 85% of a first ballot Hall of Famer is a Hall of Famer. Now, I do think that there are corners who are getting a better look or getting more of a look than Charles um, for reasons that I don't agree with, and I think that he people should slow down. And and I, but I would Lance is the one who I don't have to think about, and. And, 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 and Charles, he had the better end to his career. He's got the better number. Obviously, he has the greater historic impact. Um, right. I just feel like with, with Lance, he, I feel like he almost falls more under the, like you explained with Antonio Gates and Jared Allen, a great player that had a lot of great stats, but Peanut had more of a generational impact, not just with his stats where he had forced turnovers, Forced fumbles amongst some of the greatest linebackers of all time as a cornerback. As one of the greatest pass rushers of all time. Right. And th- that's true. But then- when he started his career, he ended with 44 forced fumbles. When he started his career, right. that was the record for most forced fumbles in a career. Yep. And, and then also, obviously, we all know how the impact of the peanut punch. It's literally said on every single telecast how many years after he's played. As soon as the ball gets punched out, the 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 term peanut punch may never go away, and that that that, that's it's almost insane how much of an impact that play is, and how much Charles really just became an expert in that. And we all remember the stories about how he would you know train in karate and jujitsu and stuff to to really hone that skill, and now you see that used throughout the league. So the impact is great. And Air Jared puts in the chat, just ask Megatron and Randy Moss what he listen, thought. Listen, everybody, uh, listen, listen. Uh, Charles was, Yeah, I'm Charles not, certainly was my, not trying to pit you against either one. No, no, no. Listen, Charles was my first interview on the beat. Uh, he was one of my, he was one of the guys I've interviewed the most. Um, I've, I've put up a lot of numbers. I think I've, I've given a lot of ammo to a lot of really people on Charles and I, I believe in him absolutely the impact that he's had on the game is phenomenal the fact that we we know how many pro bowls he missed because people just didn't see the interception numbers 0506 070809 10 um i mean he should have had easy three pro bowls in that little run of 05 to 10 plus the two and then he was going remember how good he was in the early part of 2013 and he helped change carolina in 2015 so yep. He he absolutely to me is a Hall of Famer. He is a he's got he's got an impact that is enormous. But if I had to put one in first, I would put in Lance. I just think that for the majority of the time that I was watching both of them play, I just thought of Lance 
as the better player. Now, I, I, maybe I'm wrong because playing cornerback is incredibly difficult, and especially in the cover two because Charles is out on an island a lot. And he's getting a lot of the toughest assignments. We mentioned Randy Moss, Calvin Johnson, um, uh, Plexico Burris when he, when he was at his best. I mean, I remember the, the double peanut punch on James Jones right. in uh, 2007. That was a game Titans he wasn't even supposed to play. Like the, the Titans game. You know, game. look. 10 force fumbles in 2012. That is an NFL record. He's tied with defensive linemen, with ends, guys who are blind quarterbacks. Hall of Fame defensive ends, right. Guys who are blind siding quarterbacks. He didn't have that advantage. He's he's forcing fumbles in space with a guy with the ball who's looking him dead in the eye. And that's who he's forcing fumbles on. You, you know what I'm I not think saying anything about Charles, but it, who would be the first one? Uh, you know, I need someone to go to the film and tell me why I'm wrong. Because Lance Briggs, we called him future Hall of Famer Lance Briggs, starting in 2004. Right. And, and that's what I was going to say I think it is, is early – it took Peanut a, a little time to really be perfect who he was in this league. Briggs came out the gates right away. And in that Super Bowl run, it was Briggs. But then – once you get to 2010 and after, Peanut Tillman was still doing his thing and almost better than he ever was before because the older he got, the more he became a savvy vet and could just use his size and his physicality. Whereas Briggs, when he was young and exu- he was just a dominant force, and as he got older, his play started to fall off. So maybe it's just the more recent history that I remember in that regard. And, and it's been so long since those early days of Briggs that you forget what such a dominant force he was really quickly when we talk about, cause to me, Devin Hester is the greatest kick returner of all time. Kick returner is a position in this league. So you put the greatest kick returner of all time in the hall of fame. There are positions that go unnoticed to the hall of fame and it makes no sense. If it's a position in the NFL, it should have an opportunity to make it to the Hall of Fame. So with that being said, Patrick Manley, another special teams, you know, gem that comes out of Chicago and revolutionizes the position of long snapping before long snapping even really existed in the NFL. Are they ever is the NFL ever going to acknowledge position obscure positions like that and start recognizing what they bring to the table for this game? Yes, because now we've seen we've seen it added for Pro Bowl. We've seen it added for All Pro. So I think that that will happen. And Pat has done a great job of pushing that conversation and raising the level of awareness. Obviously, with the Pat Manley Award and the the fact that the longest tenured Bear, the the oldest franchise in the NFL, along with the Cardinals, but you know the, the. the, the fran- you know, the charter franchise is our longest tenured bear is a long snapper. You know, I asked Pat in um, what 2017 if he thought uh, long snapper should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and basically if he should, and he said no because up to that point you were still building the original, you know, of it being a standalone position. It didn't become a standalone position until the 90s. I mean, Pat Manley was the first player drafted to be a long snapper, where it was like. This is specifically what we're going to do. Todd Thomas in Kansas City was drafted to do some long snapping, but he was going to have other responsibilities. But right. Manley was the guy who he was the first player drafted to be a long snapper. And right. so, from Pat's perspective, um, from Pat's perspective, he didn't think anybody had gone yet. 
But yeah, I think we're going to start seeing that. I think we're going to see more special teamers in the hall. I think you're going to see Adam Vinatieri in the hall. I think you're going to see Justin Tucker in the hall. I think you're going to see Shane Leckler in the hall. And you're damn sure going to see Devin Hester in the hall. That sounds great. Uh, Charles Cass in the chat says, always happy to see Abu, Jack's nickname when he was my camp player on the show. Chip, what are you? Don't sign on here as Charles. Yeah, and he goes, don't sign on here as Charles, Chip. And he goes, want to see some North Star versus Neba Gaiman, if I'm butchering that. Nebagamon. Nebagamon. Carm went to Nebagamon. Chip and I. And and shout out to Chip Cass, my boy Chip. Um, But uh, yeah, uh, my first year at camp was 1993. Uh, It was the year after Aladdin came out. They thought I looked like the monkey. And that was my nickname. And that's there's a large portion <laughs> of people who only know me as Abu. And Dan Bernstein, who also <laughs> Dan Bernstein, who also went to North Star, has told me that it has taken every bit of him to not call me Abu on the air. So I appreciate I that, like Dan. It. But hey, the, the the lid is off. So um, yeah. there you go. Shout out to North Star Camp for Boys. And then, and then finally, Virginia McCaskey was also on this finalist uh, list or semifinalist list with Steve Michael McMichael. Does she have any opportunity to ever get into the Hall of Fame, or does she even like this? You know, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but does does she deserve it as the daughter of George Hallis and someone that's owned a franchise? You know, you know, you know the contribute the contributor category is tough. They just recently changed it to coach contributor, uh, which helped Don Coryell get in. It, it could help Clark Shaughnessy get in. Um, Shout out to Virginia McCaskey. I tweeted today. She has met literally. She has known literally every head coach in Chicago Bears history. Uh, as an owner, as a principal owner since 1983, you're talking about one Super Bowl championship, one runner-up, low on division titles. I don't see it. But you know, that's no disrespect. Um, and what about I, as I far as just um, you know, in a male-dominated industry, as far as being an owner in this league, being a awesome. pioneer towards women in that area totally totally um i I think that it's you know it's tough because there there's there's so few people who get in as contributors you know you're gonna see bob Kraft get in this year probably and that means he's gonna bump like you know lloyd wells and he's gonna bump coughlin and he's gonna bump shanahan he's gonna honor all, all all sorts of people so i don't know very tough to say Okay, well, Jack, again, a pre, we went way over the time we talked about pre-hand and, and all your information. You just are flowing with information, oozing with it. And I know everyone that has tuned in and, and will tune in later appreciate your you know historical knowledge on all of this and, and how the process works in the Hall of Fame. And uh, we really appreciate all the insight. And you know, we'll have to do it again. I definitely want to bring you back on. I think this is the first time we've ever been able to talk like this. This is the first time we've ever talked, period. Yeah. And the, you internet guys- is, the internet is a weird place, man. Yeah. It, it is a weird place, but it can be a great place. And if it wasn't for social media and Twitter, I, I wouldn't be sitting here having the job I do today. And you were one of the very first people in the industry to be in my corner privately and, and helping me along, giving me advice way back when, when I had no idea really what I wanted to do with all this. And I'll never forget those kind of things. Jack, you're a good man and, uh, and a hell of a you know historian and a, a great follow on Twitter. Anybody that's not following at Reed Jack, you're just literally 
wasting your time on Twitter because he's one of the good ones and he's going to give you great information and history about our sports that we love here in Chicago, specifically the Chicago Bears. So uh, I could I could sing your praises all night long, but we'll just bring you on again and, and we'll chop it up about other things uh, and get your thoughts on some of the current stuff and, and, and always uh, shoot to you when we have a question about the history of uh, the Chicago sports teams we love. So thanks, thanks again, buddy. Jack. Well, hey, man, the, 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 the Chicago hey man, the Chicago sports scene is, is better with you in it where you are. And I remember those conversations and I'm so impressed and so, uh, so you know, I, I see a lot of people tweet to you that they're inspired by you and I am too. So I appreciate it. And um, I love I love seeing what you're doing. Um, and uh, yeah, so shout out to Windy City Gridiron. Um, yep, if, you want sure my you... Bulls, if you want my Bulls history, rejack.substack.com for the low, low cost of packs a month or pip in a year. And if I have to explain it, I wouldn't bother subscribing. <laughs> Beautiful thing. Yeah, make sure right, you follow him along and, and consume all his to- content on Windy City Gridiron and, as he said, his Substack there. So uh, thank you again, Jack. I'm going to wrap this show up with you on it. So uh, for everybody, tune in Friday uh, after practice, Friday afternoon at 3 p.m. Central. The CHGO Bears team will be back covering training camp as we always are. So thank you for everybody tuning in. This is Jack Silverstein, I'm Greg Braggs Jr., and this is CHGO Bears After Dark. Have a good night, ladies and gentlemen.